everyone. Welcome to Life on Earth podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Kra. Today's episode, we will talk about end-of-life contemplation, meditation, ceremonies, and services. Our guest today is Emily Cross. I'd like to welcome Emily for her second time back to Life on Earth podcast. If you like to listen to our first podcast together, go back and listen to episode 59. Emily is an artist, a musician, a death doula, a tea ceremonialist, and the founder of Steady Wave Center and Services. In this episode, you will learn what it means to be an end-of-life doula or death doula. You'll learn about living funerals, tea as a mindful practice, and about Steady Wave Center, an end-of-life resource located in Dorset, England. You will learn why you should contemplate your own death. Steady Wave's end-of-life services was founded in 2017 in order to serve and uphold the wishes of the dying. As an end-of-life doula, Emily offers her intuitive approach to those seeking assistance, or simply a calming presence. In this episode, I also share with you my experience with death, contemplation, and meditation while visiting a Buddhist monastery in India and how transformational this experience has been in my life. Check out our show notes for all things we mention in this podcast, including Emily's living funeral training. This episode is brought to you by Shanti Yoga Training School, offering both online and in-person 200 and 300-hour yoga meditation certifications programs and our online Yoga Nidra certification course. Share this episode with someone you love and will benefit. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Without further ado, please enjoy this very special conversation. Welcome to Life on Earth, The Peace Project, a podcast that teaches you how to connect with the divine and transform darkness into light through topics from yoga to nature and ultimately love. Join your host, Natalie Kwa, to celebrate and encourage diversity, peace and global equality, one earthling at a time. On its surface, the idea of thinking about one's own death on the daily might seem dark, morbid, unnecessary, or even downright scary. This is in part due to our modern society's messaging and general attitudes about death. Death is seen as the ultimate end, something to avoid, something to save people from, something to deny and make our enemy. I mean, it makes sense, death feels so final. It means that we lose ourselves or someone we love here in the physical realm. Just because it can be painful, though, doesn't mean it's inherently bad. Death, just like birth, is perfectly natural. It just is. It happens to all of us. Contemplation of mortality is not a new idea. It is a major theme throughout the history of literature and art and plays a huge role in many religions and traditions. 
Carpe Diem, Memento Mori, YOLO. We've heard these sayings, but we have little by little gotten further away from conversations surrounding death and dying. Our dead are carted away, dealt with by professionals, made up to look alive in their caskets. The dying are artificially kept alive with the use of machines and other interventions. We've become distanced from the reality that we all will die. So why is thinking about that fact, the fact that we all someday will die, helpful to us while we are alive? Well, I'm here to tell you that thinking about your own death can actually lead to living a more meaningful, fulfilling life. Once one recognizes that everything is impermanent and ever-changing, one more fully experiences the present. We're able to become less attached to fantasies of a future if that future may not exist and may never come to pass. That's not to say that we shouldn't plan our lives or think of the future, but what if we lived as if we might die tomorrow? Having this view, we might make different decisions for ourselves. Priorities might be rearranged a bit. We might let go of things that aren't serving us. We might tell those around us that we love and appreciate them more often. We might take leaps, make changes, rip band-aids off. Having death in mind seems to give our experience more clarity and meaning. We are able to welcome in aspects of life that bring us joy and happiness. Eventually, this way of thinking will seep into the unconscious mind. It will permeate through the soul and sit there, informing outlooks and providing answers from within. Indecisive? Remember that you will die. Does that help make the decision? Of course, lots of things inform decisions. For example, it probably wouldn't be wise to choose a chocolate bar over broccoli every time, simply based on the thought that we might die tomorrow and therefore we should enjoy this one last chocolate bar. We must also think about our health with the assumption that we might live far into the future. But more broadly, thinking about mortality can help us decide who we want to spend time with, or if we want to make that big career jump, or if we want to pick up painting. We can figure out what we might regret doing or not doing when we are someday imminently facing death. Don't know how to spend your free day off work? Remember that you will die. Does that help make the decision? Considering calling your family member despite feeling angry with them? Remember that you and that they will die. Does that help make the decision? Are you in a rotten mood because someone swore at you for cutting them off this morning? Remember that you will die and feel how that shifts your perspective. Death is the ultimate unifier it's like getting into a plane, flying economy. You board, you walk past those people in first class. You might think they're so lucky for being able to fly first class. And yet you have a perfectly safe and pleasant flight. You get a snack, you get a drink. You arrive at your destination, just like everyone else on the plane. You might have even had a much better experience than some people in first class. The point is, no matter how your life went, rich or poor, successful or not successful, whatever that means to you, you will die, just like everyone else. Death can be your teacher. By understanding that our life will one day end, we can decide how to approach the rest of our days, because we are alive until we are dead.
So hi, Emily. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. It's a um, nice, cozy, rainy evening here in England. Yeah, this is your second time on Life on Earth podcast. So thank I you. Know. I feel so privileged to <laughs> appear twice. Wow. Well, I, appre- I appreciate that. So um, Emily Cross, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, my name is the same. My last name is the same last name as yours. It's yes. It's the French version. Yes, that's funny. Like, I know. It, it's funny, right? I was thinking about that the other day. Yeah, um, I hadn't put that together um, until recently. And then I thought, oh, yeah, it's the yeah. same word. <laughs> it's the same, same last name, <laughs> cross. And cross in French is croix. Croix. Yeah. And uh, so you you have a company that's called Steady Wave Center. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was reading a little bit on your website and, you know, I know that you're a musician and death doula as well. Yes. That there. And then you also lead uh, the living ceremonies, which, of course, I'm super interested in. And we're going to talk a lot about that today. Mm -hmm. But uh, I would love to hear about um, kind of like how you got into it. So I'm just going to backtrack a little bit because I don't sure. remember if we did that on the, I don't think we kind of went like that on the last episode so cool. it'd be interesting to have a different uh perspective and um so what sign are you <laughs> I was just curious I'm do you have any guesses firstly no no I'm a, I'm a Scorpio Okay. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Cause I'm a Sagittarius on the cusp of Scorpio. Okay. So kind of like right on when Scorpio becomes Sag, I'm like one of the first days. So I have a lot of the Scorpio influence and I have a lot of friends who are Scorpio too. I think I identify a lot with that sign. It's fun sometimes to just hear it. Um, So when you, are you from England originally? No, I'm from, well, my dad is from England. So I've got a dad from England and a mother from the U.S. Okay, because so I saw you went to school, you went to college right in the U.S. And what was that? Yeah. Where was that again? At the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Chicago. And mm-hmm. then you moved to Austin. Yes. Yeah. I moved. So, I grew up in Florida and then went to school in Chicago and then. Okay. So then when you were in school, you were studying what art, like what kind of art? Uh, Visual art, like drawing and painting. And then I shifted a little bit to music in my last year, my final year of college. Oh, okay. I was wondering how, because like you have the art thing, but then you're also a musician. So um, you got into that when you were in college. Yeah. The last year I, I had to take like some optional classes to round out my last year like credits Mm -hmm. and I took a sound class it's called sound at the art school Mm. and I made like this sound collage thing and learned how to use analog synthesizers and learned how to record on on the computer and stuff and I found a real uh, it just clicked in for me with music and for whatever reason I yeah, I stuck with that a little more heavily than even visual art. Of course, I still do visual art as well. But mm-hmm. and in what? Music. So now you have you're still doing music. You have a band, yeah. right? 
Got two bands. Yeah. Got two, two bands. bands. Okay. Yeah. That and yeah. what do you what do you what is your part on it? What instrument or is it vo- vocal? Yeah, I'm the singer and writer and I play clarinet as well. I play I I I'm kind of like I'm not really that good at any one thing. So I kind of just <laughs> I surround myself with talented people and <laughs> make it work somehow. <laughs> yeah. That's really fun. So when you were doing your visual art, um, what was the, like that you decided to focus on, on the presentation? Was it the, that I saw that had some kind of thing related to the death too? Yeah. I mean, from early childhood, I've been interested in death and dying and afterlife. And I didn't yeah. have a religious um upbringing at all so it was always like this big mystery what happens when you die and after you die and um when did that start yeah sorry to interrupt you no it's okay it it just was always like that so as far back as I can remember um like when death Hmm. was explained to me um I it was explained in the context of my my mom so um another child told me that my mom would die one day and um, because they had just figured out what death was. And I was like, what do you mean? But she's going to come back. Like, she's not going to go away forever. And they're like, yeah, she goes away forever. My God. I remember remember just being like, what? How is that possible? Yeah. Um, But then I was, you know, I was explained about death um, without a religious, um, in, in not in a religious context whatsoever. It's just was like, that's death. It's part of life. And, um, yeah. So growing up, I just never had a set belief as to what happens after you die or what, what death was all about. And I, so I, I frequently made art about that. Yeah. So that's kind of, you know, it's interesting because it kind of, it weaves into different areas of your life. Yeah. And then how did the, well, first of all, how did you end up now in Dorset, England? Like, (laughs) (laughs) I know it's (laughs) funny. How did that happen? Well, because my dad's from England, so Uh I got dual dual citizenship. So, um, I was able to apply and receive a passport and a UK passport. And yeah, there's no real like set reason why I came over here. I just thought that sounds fun to have a little, you know, ch- first 30 years of my life in the U.S., maybe next 30 years over here and <laughs> um, make use yeah. of the free health care. And yeah, it it's amazing. Me. Yeah, yeah it I, you know, I have dual citizenship, too, and I have a French passport. So, yeah. And I lived in Paris for a while as well, but more kind of growing up when I was a teenager and then early, very early 20s, right before I moved to the U.S. But uh, yeah, I love I love Europe and I always miss it. I, I visit, but I miss it so much. I think it's great that you're living there. It looks just from looking at your photos, it looks like a cute town. Yeah, it's it's so different. It's so small. Yeah, I mean it's not it's not even a town. It's they're like villages and villages. How is yeah. Dorset? Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yeah, it's just real country lifestyle. Like I live around. Um, like cows are my neighbors. There's lambs <laughs> all around. Like um, my neighbors are farmers. Um, it's a coastal. Uh, county so I live on what's called the Jurassic Coast so there's like 
cliffs with a bunch of fossils um, mm. in them. And like you can walk along the beach and find millions of years old fossils just laying there oh, and um, the sea. And yeah, I'm always at the beach. Yeah, um, that's really pretty, cool. I, pretty idyllic, to be honest. I feel yeah. pretty lucky. How did you find find this place? Was that where your father's around from? Or how, how did you find this city in particular? No, no. I just, um, so when I moved over here, my my requirement was that it was near the sea. And I really wanted to live like a more quiet village life. That's what I was seeking out, was just a really quiet, laid back um, life here. And so I initially moved to Cornwall and then found my way up to Dorset. And, um, yeah, then I opened my center here in Dorset. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah. I want, I would love to hear more about the center too. So how, okay. Tell us about, um, I'm super interested in like how you became a deaf doula and how, how you made that choice and kind of how did that happen in the program? Yeah, so I was actually driving back from the studio uh, recording an album, and I was thinking about, I had been thinking about um, a career that could like grow alongside my music and art because music and art is not the most um, solid of uh, careers. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was thinking, oh, I kind of wanted to learn something else, something new. And I was literally driving, listening to the radio, and I heard um, a program on NPR about death doulas, and they had someone on there intervie- being interviewed. And I can't remember who it was, but they were talking about how uh, a role of a death doula is a non-medical presence at the end of life. And I've never, I'm a little bit like squeamish with needles and blood and all that. So I never, I knew I never wanted to be in the medical field. Like I never felt a calling to be like a nurse or a doctor or anything like that. But when I heard that I could be there at the end of life, um, supporting medical personnel and hospice workers and families and uh, people who are dying, I just immediately knew that that was the job that was for me. So the same day, like I arrived home and I was Googling like crazy and I found um, training programs and stuff. And that was in 2015 or 16, I think early 2016. So it's really grown so much since then. And it was growing. Obviously, people were doing it before I discovered it, too. So, yeah, I think that a lot of people don't know yet. Um, You know, there's a lot of people who don't even know what a death doula is. It's not something that everyone is familiar with. I think it's such a beautiful profession because just something that you can be there, um, you know, to to. I, I also know that there's a lot of preparation for the living that stay and for the person. So I know you guys deal with a lot of different things, but also holding space and the presence yeah. and just, you know, that compassionate presence, which is like so important, especially if someone is about to, I just call it like transition and just, mm-hmm. you know, and um, so have you worked with a few people? I mean, I'm assuming oh, yeah. by now since mm-hmm. 2015. So yeah. yeah. And you enjoy it. You enjoy the process. Yes. Yeah. If you I mean, would, I think enjoy is a, is a slightly odd. Yeah. It's odd to say word. that. I would yeah. say it's really, really rewarding and really uh, affirming, like life affirming and just, it can be very beautiful. So, uh-huh. and for someone who's listening, um, if, 
if you were to describe in just a few words what uh, what's the job of a death doula, can you tell us a little about that? Sure. It's a little bit hard to say in one line yeah. because, <laughs> because there's so much variation depending on the client and what they need from you. But basically a doula is a person who serves, a death doula is the, a person who serves at the end of life. So an end of life death doula is a person who um, is serving in a non-medical sense. So we're there to support the uh, medical team that's already in place and support hospice by, you know, holding space, companioning, um, helping with really anything that they need help with. I really like to organize things like um, music, like live music around bedside. I like to bring in my creativity by helping with like legacy projects and art projects. And, um, you know, it can be like controlling the flow of people who are visiting in the room, uh, controlling the actual physical space, making it very calm and peaceful for the person who's dying by, you know, bringing in different scents or um, decluttering an area or uh, putting on music or, you know, it, it's just a lot of stuff that basically managing a space that most people maybe aren't um, thinking about, they're too overwhelmed to think about providing respite care for caregivers and family members. Um, a lot of it is just like explaining what's going on with a person's body. Um, we don't talk about death that much as a society. So when certain things are happening, like natural processes of the body, uh, people just don't know what is going on. And mm -hmm. some people think that some things are like an emergency situation that you have to call the doctor for. But if you have a death doula there to say, look, this is a natural progression at the end of life it's totally fine and the person's not in pain um this is just what happens that can be really really calming and reassuring for the family to know that everything is you know going in a natural way um so yeah i guess i agree I agree the role and, is just and, really yeah I, I get it and and if someone is listening and you know has a family member or someone who's going through that, um, how does one get a death doula if they want to work with someone? How I does one hire one? Because I'm sure like some people are like, well, how do I, that sounds great. How do I even get someone like that if I wanted to? I would first say that if a person feels like they have capacity to offer assistance to someone at the end of life, it's completely within someone's capabilities to step up and be a death doula, even if they don't mm -hmm. have training. I think that a lot of my job is education right now and showing people that it's not, um, you know, it's we, I, I believe that we innately know how to companion the dying and we innately know what to do. It's just kind of, it's kind of like, um, I see myself as like a little bit of a guide to people. And that's sometimes what I do when I'm actually hired to be a death doula is I just help guide the people who are already there who actually really want to be more involved, but don't feel empowered to do that. So I would say to someone, maybe if you, um, maybe are feeling like they, you want to step up a little bit and be there, 
I think that that's, you're totally capable of doing that and maybe just doing a few, reading a few books or going online, doing a few quick searches. But if someone does want to hire a death doula, which I also really recommend, I think the best way currently is going online and just searching in your area or Mm -hmm. word of mouth, asking people, maybe posting in some Facebook groups or something like that. Um, Since we are all at the moment, well, not all, but I think vast majority of us are like free agents. So we just work for ourselves. We have our own business names and things like that. But I think, um, yeah, just searching. Yeah, on so you can website. find, you can find yeah. where you, you guys, you are around. That's great. We're so around. There's a, there's yeah. actually a ton of, of people of death doulas around and some of them are in, um, like collectives. So some training programs have them all listed on their website by state and things like that. So you might just check a collective and see if there's one in your state and some of them will have reviews and other things yeah. you could check out insurance and stuff like that. But yeah, and, we're, we're and definitely go around. from there. Yeah, yeah, that's great. It was really great information. And so how then did the living funeral, I love, and I want you to explain about it and I would love to um, you know, learn more about it, but how did that start in your life? Like, how did you, did you develop those? Did you like, you know, how did you start doing those? (laughs) Well, I was training to be an end of life doula. And I was at the point where I was just absorbing every single thing I could find on end of life and dying and death and everything like that. And I came across this documentary. Um, it was like a short thing, little video about, South Korean mock funerals. And I learned through some additional research that these centers um, opened around 2012. I'm not sure the history before that, but um, these centers with, you know, 40 or 50 coffins set up in there Mm -hmm. were developed to help curb suicide rates in South Korea. And Mm. I just visually was struck by all these coffins in a room and people in robes and getting in the coffins and contemplating mortality. And I thought, wow, I really, really want to do that. I really want to find, because mm-hmm. in my mind, I'm like, surely someone's doing that here in the States. There's no way someone's, this has been there since 2012 and no one's brought it over here. <laughs> um, so I did some searching and I found some like death meditations, people doing death meditations, but nothing close to someone like having a coffin and and doing like a whole body shut down and like, um, having a picture uh, with their birthday and the death date, like a memorial photo. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Um, like a, it brings it to a whole nother level. Absolutely. And I, that's what I wanted to do. Um, but I couldn't, so I couldn't find that. And so I thought, wow, you know what, I'm going to just, I I've got a loan from a friend and I bought some supplies and I just started developing it myself. And, um, yeah, at this point, I've done hundreds and hundreds of them all over the place. Yeah, you've been doing them for a while. Yeah. And um, yeah, your Instagram shows a lot of your work too. Um, mm-hmm. You want to tell us your Instagram so if, you, if people want to look at look up while we're oh, talking? Sure. Yeah, it's just steady, S-T-E-A-D-Y underscore waves underscore center, C-E-N-T-E-R. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, because... I don't know if I ever told you this, but when I was um, in my 20s, I spent I went to India on multiple trips because I was studying yoga. And um, one of my trips, well, many of my trips to India, we used to go to this Buddhist monastery in South India. 
it was called is called Bailakupa. It's still there, and it's one of it's the one of the homes of the Dalai Lama when he's in India. There's the mm. one in the north and the one in the south. And one time, I used to go there, and you know, to 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 and and would stay, and you could stay there, like just come and stay, and sort of have a feel for the monastic life, and meditate mm-hmm. with them, and wake up at four o'clock in the morning. I was really into it. And we, one of the practices that we did one time that was there was a death contemplation meditation mm. that I, I mean, I chose to do it, you know, you yeah. could choose different things and I chose to do it and, and I did it multiple times and it, I just um, remember it being really powerful and I was meditating with these Tibetan monks and they were just incredible and we were just being guided in this death, you know, the last breath. And so so that is um that is in Buddhism I know for sure that there that yes. there is that and I know that in in other cultures there's some uh, forms of meditation I didn't know that South Korea had the living funerals and now I know so you know that comes up a lot and even for people listening I just wanted to point out that you know if you practice yoga which I know a lot of people in this podcast that listen do um, shavasana really is also sort of that you know the last posture we do the translation sometimes it's corpse pose Mm -hmm. and I've worked with some really powerful yoga teachers that had us also sort of when we were relaxing which yeah one of the intents I would say it is to relax deeply and just completely just have a relaxing experience but also you could you could if you wanted to you know, imagine in some moments how it would feel to take that last breath. And sometimes Mm. there's some pranayama practices that you exhale. And at the end of the exhalation, you pause so that there's that emptiness, you know, and that and then you're laying down. And the idea is that you really contemplate, what if this really was your last breath? And I always felt like those practices so powerful um, and in, and in just to complete the Shavasana thing, I think that's a beautiful analogy because when you come out of the practice, you know, and then usually teachers bring you up and they close the practice, say namaste, thank you, whatever. And I always feel, well, it's like a rebirth when you mm. come out. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, when you start, then there's the death and then there's the rebirth and every, with every Shavasana, there's an opportunity of rebirth. There's an opportunity of new life and recycle. And I, I always felt all that so beautiful and that's why I'm also attracted to this work um, that you do because I know that in my life it has impacted me in some mm. really deep levels just like having gone through those experiences in India and then having contemplated with Shavasana and stuff and it's like it just it just it's hard to explain and put it into words but it it creates this this um that death is not so much so like out there, you know, it's going to happen to each and every one of us. We're all going to go through it. It's not like something that it just happens to a few of us. No, but mm-hmm. somehow there's this taboo, you know, in mm-hmm. this, in societies and in all the countries that it's like, you really need to, if you want to understand it more and you want to, you really kind of need to make an effort because it's not, it's almost like, I don't want to hear about it, you know, or let's not talk about it. And it becomes, so I can, I can totally see how someone needs sometimes a death doula and stuff. Cause people get so frantic when sometimes, you know, yeah. but for me, it's really curious to understand um, the process that everyone's going to go through, including my loved ones and myself. And also just to, 
have a deep, deeper understanding of that transition. So mm-hmm. I love what you're doing because I feel like you're also as a guide and teacher, you're like you said, you're educating and you're guiding a lot of the community on like on this thing that, you know, it's whether we want it or not, it's part of everyone's life. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I would love to hear from you. Like you've done hundreds of living funerals and I, I just shared my experience like with, um, you know, this thing, but what about you? Like when you see all the people, what are, what do you get that people are like, wow, was, how was this valuable for people to go through a living funeral from some of the testimonials you've had or yeah it's again it's it's so dependent on the people coming and and also the levels in which they are willing to go like in, within themselves so some people come and they just i can see it's amazing that they even show up because it's quite an odd thing to be doing right like in <laughs> in our society it's like that is Uh some freaky stuff. Uh Um, Uh So I commend every single person who comes to one. I just think it's amazing, but you can tell that some people are just scratching the surface and you can tell some people really go in deep, like really delve in and take it very, very seriously. And um, in no way is that like a judgment that one way is better than the other. It's just the timing thing. Some, you know, some people come back multiple times and you can see the progression each time which is very cool. Um, but you know, it, my, my job as a living funeral practitioner facilitator is to almost be invisible to lead the space, but to not have it be about me whatsoever. So, you know, people aren't looking at me as I'm speaking. Um, ideally they would just hear my voice and kind of forget that it's attached to a person at all. And so the people that come to the ceremony are completely doing this work by themselves and like journeying. I'm guiding them, but they're doing the work in within themselves. And um, some of the, the stuff that they figure out is just totally amazing. And some of them are like hit by different people are hit by different aspects of the ceremony, right? I'm not going to go into what exactly happens in the ceremony because I feel like yeah. people should come to one and find out. Themselves. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but there are, yeah, different stages of the ceremony and at different stages, certain people figure out certain things. And well, I was uh, going to say for someone listening, if they don't have, you don't, we don't have to go into everything, but like, what is just in general, what's a living ceremony? People might be like, what is, what are they talking yeah, about? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I should have said up top. So in general, a living funeral ceremony is an, I would say an in-depth mortality meditation. So it's a very, um, it's, yeah, it's an in-depth mort- mortality meditation, vis- visualization, death visualization. So you're confronting your mort- mortality in a very intentional and deep way. And like I said, people go deep in different levels, but it is definitely um, a much more in-depth experience than, you know, a Shavasana or, I mean, who knows, someone could go super, super deep in a Shavasana, but it's there's there's more pageantry but there's a setup i was gonna say the setup is different because yeah most if you talk about the most yoga class you have three five minutes and then you kind of but this is um, this is like a two-hour experience okay yeah Yeah. for sure 
Yeah, it's a little more more in depth. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's it. Okay. And you have a training coming up. I would I love do. for us to talk about that. Um, when does the training start? And it and whatever you want to share about the training with um every, I'm sure like listeners are now curious if you're still here with us, you're like, oh, I'm curious about all this. <laughs> yeah. The training is so fun. Up till now, I've trained people one-on-one only, but I have gotten a lot of interest. And so I figured I would try a cohort model for the first time. So that's happening on May 6th. And we'll have a group of people um, on one to two hour calls each time. It's it's kind of hard to say. Um, it just depends on how many questions are asked and things like that. And mm-hmm. I, can, I can chat about it for a really long time, but the core of the teachings yeah. are going to be roughly an hour each call. So on May 6th, going for six weeks, and I might have a few extra calls also. Um, I'm very, it's just me that's teaching and there's PDF materials and there's going to be uh, group discussions. And I really think the cohort model is going to be very cool because that cohort can then talk to each other and generate ideas and just have more of like a community feeling about it. Whereas the one-on-one trainings are definitely really nice because I get to connect one-on-one with someone, but it's, um, I am anticipating a more kind of special atmosphere with a group of people. I'm really excited about it. Building a community too, and yeah. I'm gonna be in it, and I'm I'm really excited yes. about it. I know I'm so, I'm so happy excited. About it. Thank yes. you, thank you so much for providing this opportunity. And so, are the people kind of from all over? Yeah, they're from all over the yeah. place. A yeah. lot of from the U.S., um, some from the U.K. and Europe, and um, very nice. My vision has always, always, always been, and it still is to for the most living funerals to be happening in the world as humanly possible. So <laughs> my mission is to train as many people as possible and for them to be happening all over the place. And uh, that was one of my endeavors in opening the center was to, so that people could come to a place, a center and lay in a coffin. I have a coffin in the center and people can lay in it and do some more. Yeah, t- tell us about the center. We would love to, I'd love to hear you. When did you open that? I opened it in August of 2021. So okay. it's coming up to its second year, which is mm-hmm. crazy. Um, yeah. I opened it just kind of, you know, it sounds funny, but I I never, I always thought that it wouldn't be like the most, the point was, wasn't that it should be very lucrative. Okay. Let me just start there. Mm-hmm. For me, it was more of like kind of, uh, not performance art per se, but like making a stand to the world that this end of life resources, brick and mortar centers should exist in the world. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> so I really wanted to be a person who did that and I did it and I feel really happy about it. So the center is an end of life resources center. I have um, local materials on end of life, like hospices and uh urns and coffins and people who make like keepsakes out of ashes and um, cremated remains. And I have advanced advanced directive copies for people to look at and copies of wills for people to look at, a bunch of books. 
I have like a tea mm-hmm. corner so we could have mindful tea. I have a um, meditation room and then a coffin for people to look at and lie down in. And the idea is just to have a safe space for someone to walk in and be able to talk freely and openly about death and dying and ask questions and meditate if they want. So that's the center. That's beautiful. Do you lead meditations there? I do. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I think originally you and I met through uh, the tea community. You know, oh original. Gosh. I know. That's so wild. I know. Forgot about that too. But I was thinking about that yesterday. I was like, wow, we met through Global Tea Hut. Global Tea Hut. Oh my yeah. gosh. Wild. <laughs> I forgot that. I know, I know. And I'm wow. actually after our call, I'm going to sit and have a tea ceremony today because I really so need good. it. I've been working a lot these past few days and I'm like, I just feel like I need to sit in silence with some tea, you know, and a boiling kettle. So I love hearing that you have your tea um, at the center and that you yeah. have like a corner. So what, so do you serve tea for the, sometimes or do you, how yeah. do you incorporate the tea? Yeah, so it's on my services section of my website as mindful tea service. So I want to provide the gong fu experience to people who have never. Mm-hmm. And it's fun to do it in England because there's such a tea culture here already. I know. It's very, very but different it's different, tea. right? Yeah, I was yeah. Say. yeah, yeah, exactly. So people walk in, they're like expecting tea, like in a tea bag, like Tetley's. And I'm like, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I've got all my nice teas and all my, you know, my Gaiwan and my Yixing pot. And, um, we do, we just, yeah, have mindful tea and focus on the smell of the dry leaves, smell smell of the wet leaves. Um, and we do mindful brewing and yeah, it's really fun. How is your, do you, so you have a mindful tea practice, I'm assuming. Yeah, I would say these days I actually am not. I go in real phases with tea. I, I do love uh-huh. tea, but I haven't lately. My life has been a little bit, I've been traveling and stuff. So I need to get back in the groove of things, but I yeah. do regularly sit down and brew myself tea and, and have a good hour Quiet, or so. Of quietly tea. sit yeah. with it. Yeah. yeah. It's so, it's so powerful. So meditative. Yes. It just, it's, it just brings so much inner peace. In my life. Absolutely. The, the the sound of the kettle and the water boiling and the smell of the tea leaves and the whole the chi of the tea, like it's just I love it. I know. That's exactly you're describing what I love too. And so um I was gonna say, what's the feeling when someone lays down in the coffin when they come in? Is that like powerful or yeah. scary? Or? So the coffin I have, my friend made, it's a willow coffin. So it's like a big basket. I think that that's a lot less intimidating to people. And so a lot of people say it's very comfortable and cozy. And, you know, when, when the cover is shut, you can still kind of see the light through because of how it's um, the weave of it. So it's not, I think it's not as claustrophobic as like a big, heavy, wooden coffin or like a a huge casket or something like that it's a little less intimidating than that Mm -hmm. did you I know I'm jumping back to tea but did you say something about tea in the sauna was it you oh I served (laughs) yeah I did it I did a sauna tea service a couple weeks ago a couple months ago or something (laughs) yeah that was weird and funny (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, because I'm like, the tea is usually so hot. I'm sure you had to like be in there for just a little bit with the tea. It was like, uh, it was supposed to be a low temperature sauna. And I got there and it was not a low temperature sauna. And I was <laughs> like, the door has to be open because it's, you know. It's a lot. Hot. Yeah. It's Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. What from, you know, obviously you really believe in what you do. And I think it's beautiful, the work you're doing. Um, why do you think from your perspective is so important that people have um, a somewhat of a relationship or understanding of, you know, this sort of death thing, whether maybe via living funeral or coming to the center and visiting what you do, or just educational? What, it, what if you can think, I know it's a hard question, because there could be a million reasons, but like, yeah. what, what could it be like important to know about this? Mm. Well, one reason that people I I believe should talk about it and think about it more is because I truly feel that by looking by bringing death closer we can more appreciate our life and also I feel like it makes us more compassionate people to realize that we're all going to die one day and that we're all just trying our best and you know life isn't all about just getting ahead and having the most comfortable life uh maybe maybe in spite of other people or you know just mm-hmm. trying to get ahead and things like that so i think also by thinking about death and and thinking that you will die one day it helps you to relate to people who are dying or um ill or mm-hmm. facing yeah facing end of life and i also think that thinking about it and learning about it can help avoid a lot of suffering and pain. And I wish people would understand more that death is not inherently bad. It's just what happens. We all will die. And so it's not actually bad. It's if death is bad, then birth is bad with my, in my logic. Like I understand that death is sad because someone that you love is leaving, but that doesn't make it bad. That just means we have to adapt to that new reality that that person isn't here in the same way anymore on this plane of existence or however, whatever you believe. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think by thinking about it more and educating ourselves more on it, it will be less jarring when it does happen and we can be more prepared and more sort of primed for that transition when it does happen. And also be more compassionate and enjoy our lives more. So I think it's just like a win, 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 win. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's beautiful what you said. Thank you for sharing that. So mm-hmm. um, if anyone wants to um, join this training or or maybe work with you or learn more, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? And also, you, can you share the website also just in case? Sure. Yeah, my website is steadywavecenter.com. That's C-E-N-T-E-R. I I realized after making that my business name that in the UK it's spelled C-E-N-T-R-E Center, but it's the American way, E-R. And the best way probably to get in touch with me is email. So my email is on my website. It's just cross at steadywavecenter.com or you can send me a message on Instagram. Or if you're in the UK, you could just call my phone because it's on my website. My number is on my website. 
Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah, yeah that's no a, problem. I'll include all of that on the show notes too for people who want to check that out. Is there anything else you, I mean, I loved everything we talked about and I really appreciate your time. Is there anything else you want to share or? Uh, I mean, I could share forever, <laughs> but I think we, we can naturally end yeah. it here. But I just, yeah. I guess I want to say that if anyone wants to reach out or has any questions at all, please do not feel any hesitation. I, I welcome any sort of interaction and I really appreciate when people reach out. So don't be shy. Yeah, it's definitely um, a work that I think will, a lot of, you know, people will be curious about. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's not, I think it's really wonderful that you create a safe space and a mm -hmm. safe presence for for people who to walk into your center and have an experience or look for educational content, or you can look for your educational content as well and inspirational stuff on your Instagram and your website and doing this podcast. Yeah, it's, it really feels like you are educating a lot of people and opening doors to like a new reality to many. So it's really I super cool. appreciate that. Thank you so much. And you yeah. do amazing work by yourself. Oh, thank you. Podcast and thank you. Just, I thank feel you, lucky Emily. to connect with you. And I, I'll I see feel, you soon at the cohort. I know. Bye. I'm so excited about it. I can't wait. <laughs> Me too. I'm really thank thrilled. You. Thank you for listening to Life on Earth podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Share this episode with someone you love. Follow us on your favorite podcast platform. I'm sending you so much love and peace.